Welcome to California State of Mind, a new podcast. I'm Nicole Nixon, a reporter with CAP Radio in Sacramento. And I'm Elizabeth Aguilera, reporter for Cal Matters, based in Los Angeles. The reason CAP Radio and Cal Matters are teaming up on a weekly podcast is because our two newsrooms are full of smart reporters who go deep on state policy and California news. And Nicole, what's really interesting to me is demystifying what's happening in Sacramento and bringing it home to how it intersects with Main Street, California. We want you, our listeners, to understand why all of this policy matters and how it affects your daily life. I'm really excited about that too, Elizabeth, and I'm also pumped to do this podcast to help make news digestible for you, our listeners, so that you can listen and figure out what's going on and hopefully learn something, but also not get bored while you're doing it. Like, like for example, this week, what's going on with these unofficial ballot boxes? And what do you need to know about how to vote safely and securely. And that's a really important story, so we're going to talk about that later in the episode. Think about the pandemic and how it's shown us just how much state government impacts our daily lives. You know, last week the state recommended that you don't go trick-or-treating, that you try to find some alternative activities for your family. They recommended, and I have heard people talking about doing a Halloween hunt, similar to what we do on Easter except at night with flashlights and candy and still encouraging costumes, but maybe sharing them virtually by video instead of actually gathering with friends or family. And this really reminds us how impactful state politics and policies really are. Exactly. I mean, we're six, seven months into this pandemic and we are still hearing all kinds of questions like, you know, when can my kid go back to school? Or how about will I ever get my unemployment check? Or just why is everything so expensive here in California? Or what will it take to get the power back on? Or why is the state sending people to Disney World to figure out how to reopen theme parks, but not drilling down on how to safely reopen all schools? That's why for our first conversation, we're going to look at how California has evolved the last four decades. Even though California is incredibly progressive, there is still a lot of dysfunction. Yeah, and that has made us a punching bag for national Republicans, especially this year with an election. But Nicole, it wasn't always like this. Republicans used to love California. And it wasn't that long ago that we had Republican governors. And Republican voters supported issues that are now things we hear President Trump talking about all the time. Yeah, but again, this is a big state, a lot of people, and there are still a lot of Republicans here. They voted for President Trump last time, and they're raising millions for him this time. And their legacy from decades ago still stands today. My colleague Ben Christopher writes about politics for CalMatters. And so we got together to look at the political identity of California. And he tells us how in this election, California voters will have the option to try to undo some of that conservative legacy. Hi, Ben. Hi. It sounds like a lot of folks have opinions about who Californians are. And with elections coming up, we're hearing Republicans bring up California a lot. Just take a look at California. It is a place of immense wealth immeasurable innovation, an immaculate environment. And the Democrats turned it into a land of discarded heroin needles in parks, riots in streets, and blackouts in homes. That's if the lights even stay on in California anymore. A state that cannot keep power running for its own people should not send its junior senator to be vice president. Tremendous power outage. Nobody's seen anything like it, but we saw that last week in California. How can Joe Biden claim to be an ally of the light when his own party can't even 
Keep the lights on. I mean, why hate on California so much? <laughs> I think it's just really easy if you're a Republican to, to hate on California. I mean, the, the policy ideas that come out of California really do sometimes uh, push the envelope of, of progressive governance for, for better or for worse. And, and particularly on issues like the environment and gun control, and a lot of hot button issues for conservative voters. And certainly, you know, California is this massive economic engine. We are the the epicenter of the tech industry, of the film industry, of agriculture. We have a giant tourism section. So we have a lot of things going for us, but the state's failures are also very obvious. So we have the highest poverty rate in the country when you when you adjust for the, the cost of living. We have housing costs that are among the highest. We have a homelessness rate that is among the highest. You know, Every fall now, we have a large chunk of the state that, that is on fire and, and thousands of homes that have to have their power cut. And so for President Trump or, or someone at the GOP convention, it is very easy to point to those problems and to blame it all on the party running the state. Likewise, I think it kind of goes both ways. When Governor Gavin Newsom ran for governor he in 2018, he ran as the sort of bulwark against the president, as the champion of the resistance. We're engaged in an epic battle, and it looks like voters will have a real choice this November between a governor who's going to stand up to Donald Trump and a foot soldier in his war on California. And so while I don't think either side would admit this, there's something, there's a symbiotic relationship there. The national GOP benefits from having an easy villain in California and vice versa. But how did we get to this point, Ben? You know, even just two decades ago, voters here regularly elected Republican governors. This is the state that brought Ronald Reagan into the political uh, spotlight. Ronald Reagan, governor of the most powerful state in the union. Where does he go from here? I think the Republicans have an opportunity as well as a challenge to be more than just a political party. This now is a time for a crusade. And we had George Dickmajian and Pete Wilson. And so when you ask Republican Party officials and political consultants what happened, how we got here, sometimes you'll hear, well, Republican voters have all left. They've all gone to places like Texas and Idaho and places that are cheaper and maybe less liberal. But really, the fundamental thing is demographics. California was majority white in the 80s, and today Latinos are the largest ethnic group in the state. But explain what happened in the middle there. Yeah, so in the 1990s, the population of the state was really beginning to see this dramatic demographic change. A lot of the change was driven by immigration in particular, uh, especially from Mexico, particularly in Southern California, where you had these long-established kind of working-class and middle-class white neighborhoods, they started to look very different. And so it's it's not like the state was homogenous or uniformly conservative back then, certainly not, but, but Californian voters were really kind of grappling with that core question of who we are as a state amid all of that change. How did these mostly working-class white Californians respond to those changes happening around them? Even as early as 1986, voters overwhelmingly passed a proposition to make English the official state language of California. And then in 1994, voters passed Proposition 187. They keep coming. Two million illegal immigrants in California. The federal government won't stop them at the border, yet requires us to pay billions to take care of them. Governor Pete Wilson... And that is the proposition that barred undocumented immigrants from receiving any non-emergency public benefits. So that actually includes public education. And that was later struck down by the courts. But I think that only fueled the sense among many white voters 
that the state was being taken away from them. The Prop 187 campaign was actually called the Save Our State campaign. And, and so that kind of cycle built in on itself. Where in years after, you had Prop 209, which banned affirmative action. You had Prop 227, which banned uh, bilingual education in public schools. And I think, you know, if this all sounds kind of familiar in 2020, I do think there is a parallel. I think the political response to dem- demographic and cultural change that we saw in California three decades ago is in some ways very similar to what we're seeing nationwide over the last four years. We're going to build the wall. We have no choice. We have no choice. Clearly, California is not the same state it was. It's younger. It's more diverse now. Is the Republican Party even trying to reach this new California? Well, I, I think in some ways the party has been trying to, to claw its way back from those years ever since. And, and I don't think the national politics, particularly the national politics of the last four years, have helped in that, in that respect. But I think it's also worth pointing out that it's not as if Democratic voter registration has been soaring. So a lot of independence now. Mm-hmm. With this change on who Californians are, are we now seeing a move to undo what was done by the GOP three decades ago? Yeah, for sure. You know, some of those fights we're going to actually see on on the ballot this year. So we have Proposition 15, which is this attempt to raise uh, property taxes on commercial and industrial properties. And in many ways, you know, the high point of modern conservatism in California, it began with a fight over property taxes, what we called the, the tax revolt and, and the passage of Prop 13 in 1978. Oh, Prop yeah. 13. It always, yeah, right. it always shows up in every conversation. It, <laughs> it always shows up. But, you know, I think in some ways this is the year where progressives and organized labor, they're, they're taking their, the first really credible crack at that legacy. There's a measure on the ballot, Prop 16, which would undo that ban on affirmative action that was passed in 1996 that we were talking about. And so I think in both cases, um, it's not clear whether either will pass. And if they don't, it's because a bunch of Democrats and independents will have voted against it. So even in this super blue state that we live, I think that maybe just reinforces uh, two things. One is that the GOP's policy legacy, that that legacy of, of sort of a more conservative California is very long lasting. And also that even in a one party state, we're not always of one mind about every policy issue. That was Ben Christopher, Cal Matters politics reporter. Thank you, Ben. Thanks so much. Nicole, what I thought was really interesting talking to Ben is the identity shift that California has had. I mean, the state is starting to revisit those policies from the 90s and trying to really chip away at those. We are seeing sort of a reckoning on these policies this year from an era when Republicans had more power and influence in the state, especially with a proposition on the ballot this year to reform Prop 13, you know, which has been seen as this longstanding sort of untouchable golden calf tax law. Right. But like Ben mentioned, nothing is guaranteed. So even Democrats are a variety of shades of blue and there are a lot more independents now. So we don't really know if voters will repeal these things. Right. I was looking at polls showing not a lot of support for Prop 16, which would reinstate affirmative action. Um, It was interesting. Of course, you know, conservative voters are very much against it, but there was more lukewarm support among Democrats and independents, and a lot of them are undecided. 
Which really shows how even though the state is blue, voters don't always automatically go one way or the other. Yeah, even though the national GOP often paints California with one brush. We will be right back after this break. Welcome back to California State of Mind. I'm Elizabeth Aguilera. And I'm Nicole Nixon. A lot of voters are casting ballots by mail this election because of the pandemic. It's nothing new for California. We have a very robust and established vote-by-mail system. In fact, around 2 million Californians have already turned in their ballots this year. But tension over something called ballot harvesting boiled over this week when the California Republican Party put their own ballot drop boxes in places like Los Angeles, Orange County, and Fresno. They were labeled as official, but they were unauthorized, and they really challenged the status quo for how people turn in their ballots. The state's top election official and the attorney general did not like this at all, and they immediately sent out cease and desist letters. But the state GOP is saying that they're not going to comply and they're going to keep the boxes up. So here to talk us through what all of this means is Scott Rod, Cap Radio state government reporter, and Emily Hoven, who writes the daily What Matters newsletter for Cal Matters. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. So first of all, Scott, ballot harvesting is kind of a loaded term that suggests something shady or sinister. But what does it really mean? That's right. It does have sort of this pejorative uh, connotation. But essentially what it means is the collection of a ballot when a voter signs over uh, the, the right to return a ballot to someone else. And it can be someone that they know, a relative or someone that they trust uh, to return that ballot for them. And this can be done on a one-on-one basis or, you know, sometimes it can, it can be that one individual uh, returns multiple ballots. And that's when the word harvesting sort of enters the conversation. But it's legal in California. However, there are certain stipulations and certain steps in order to return those ballots. So, Emily, we know that the Republican Party is linking these unofficial boxes to ballot harvesting. But do we know what happens to these ballots that are actually dropped in the boxes? So state law requires all ballots that are harvested to be returned within 72 hours. And the GOP has said that once the ballots are placed in the boxes, they are returning all of them to the appropriate county official within 72 hours, which does meet the state requirements. It's also state law that even if those ballots are not signed by the third party person is collecting those ballots, they still will be counted to err on the side of the voter in that respect. So, you know, even if they were found to have been submitted illegally, they still will be counted because they were placed in those boxes and returned to the county on time. So the most important thing is that the ballots do get counted, but do we know what might happen if they don't or if some go missing? Well, I guess in that situation, there isn't really a very well-established paper trail because as Scott was saying, normally if you have another person sign the ballot, And let's say the ballot does go missing, someone can track their ballot and say, hey, like, why did my ballot never get turned in? I turned my ballot over to you and I trusted you to make sure it got to the right place. But in this situation, if if a third party did not sign the ballot and the ballot goes missing, then the voter won't really have a way to track that. And I don't think the county would either. So, yeah, I might just kind of be lost in the void. I'm not sure. So state officials gave the California Republican Party this deadline to remove their boxes, but they say they're going to keep them up. They did agree to move them off public sidewalks and public spaces, and they also removed the term official ballot box, which is another point of tension. 
Still, though, since they are not cease and desisting, do we expect this to go to court or anything like that? Right now, that's the million-dollar question, so to speak. This is a quickly developing story, but right now, all eyes are on the Secretary of State and seeing what their next move is. Are they going to respond and say, look, we're going to try to bring the full force of the law towards this, or will they be satisfied enough with the changes uh, or the plan moving forward that the Republican Party has laid out? Anything you want to add, Emily? There's a lot at stake. I mean, I think, you know, there has been a lot of kerfuffle about this online, on Twitter, with the parties getting involved, the president got involved and, you know, encouraged the Republican uh, Party to continue fighting. He said we, he would see the Democrats in court. And so, you know, I think backing down from a battle like this could potentially cause the party that does that to lose some political face, which we'll see what they say. But um, I do think there's a lot sort of humming around this and it will be really interesting to see what they decide to do and if they think, you know, this should go to court or not. Yeah. Well, you know, Republicans have bashed ballot harvesting for a long time now. So why are they now sort of participating in it and doing it? Well, the state Republican Party has pointed out that this is something that Democratic candidates have done. The Democratic Party has gotten behind. And again, this is a legal practice in California. And so they're leaning into this and saying they're arguing that what they're doing is legal. And if if the secretary of state believes there's something wrong, that they should take a look at the state law and reform it. So the GOP is arguing that they're playing by the rules. But it does seem to cut against the grain a little bit as to the conversation that's happening at the national level with the Republican Party and questions about the integrity of the election. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask about that because, you know, you have Trump already saying that the election is going to be rigged against him. So why do you think we are seeing this now, this year, instead of like uh, two years ago, this was still being talked about then? And also, why are we seeing it in California instead of in maybe a swing state where the vote could be closer? Um, you know, I think that this election is just such a contentious one and the parties have so much at stake. And I think that the GOP is saying in California, hey, like we need to, we the rules are the rules and we might as well use them to our advantage, even if we don't actually agree with them ethically. Um, and they said in their letter to the Secretary of State, they're like, we don't like this practice and we would be fine if you got rid of it. But since it's here, we're going to use it. And I think that even though obviously California is so deep blue and it's going to go um, for Biden, I still think there's this idea of why should we not put up the best fight that we can and we're going to use every single tool at our disposal. And there's just so much going on in this election and everyone is really kind of, you know, using everything that they can to get any sort of, you know, advantage that they have, even if it won't make a difference ultimately. So it's sort of a political exhibition that the Republican Party is using to to point out some of the flaws in this third party ballot collection law in the state. At least, yeah, that, that may be part of it, certainly. I mean, I, I might also argue that it's almost in a way kind of in line with the identity of California and its politics in a way. California is often thought of as the state that's on the vanguard of legislation, on the vanguard of lawmaking and pushing the boundaries of what's acceptable and pushing the boundaries of, you know, by federal law, what is what a state can do. Almost always, though, from the progressive side, always from the left. So maybe this is the conservatives getting in, jumping in and saying, hey, maybe we could do this, too. Let's test the boundaries a little bit. Let's see what it looks like when we conservatives do it. Mm -hmm. OK, so these unofficial Republican sponsored ballot boxes have popped up in businesses and churches. Um, but these are also places where official ballot boxes sometimes are. 
For example, there's a county drop box at my local grocery store. So how can voters tell the official drop boxes from the unofficial ones? Are, are there things they can look for? Because the official ones, this is important, the official ones are designed to be tamper-proof and secure. So one thing that voters can look for is their official county seal on the ballot box. And this is apparently something that is meticulously designed and has to go through many layers of bureaucratic approval. Um, but they can look for that on the ballot box. That is like one of the main key things. Um, and then also this is a little more um, – this is a little less official, but they can check to see if the box looks like it's secure. If it looks like it is a you know not just a cardboard box, that's a good sign. I agree, yeah. And, I, and they were also saying that some of these Republican boxes that apparently were marked as official, the GOP lawyer said someone – it looked like someone had just printed out the word official ballot box and just like taped it to the side of the box. So – Chances are, if that's what you see, that's most likely not an official box. So they'll look official. But I think the look for your county seal is a good tip. And if voters have concerns about where their ballot has gone after they've cast it, whether it's you know by mail or through someone who's collected it, they can do that by going to the Secretary of State's website and looking at where's my ballot. And that actually tracks your ballot from the moment you you know, hand it over through each step of the way. So going back to that question earlier about, you know, what happens if one of these ballots is lost? Well, voters can definitely keep an eye on their ballots along the way. Awesome. Scott Rod and Emily Hoven, thank you so much for your reporting and for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. A quick update here. After we taped this conversation, the Secretary of State and Attorney General filed subpoenas to get more information about these ballot drop boxes. But for now, they're not going to be pursuing legal action. So Republicans are declaring victory. And for now, the boxes will stay up. But Elizabeth, there are a few ways to make sure your ballot is safe and does get counted. I'm really glad Scott mentioned the tool to track your ballot, but you do have to sign up for that and you can find it on the Secretary of State's website to get that going. And then the other thing that I would just point out is you can always check your county website to find a list or a map of official ballot drop boxes after you've filled out your ballot and you're ready to send it back. Um, and these will be the secure ones. That's good advice because that's my big concern listening to this conversation you had about this controversy is what happens to the ballots. And so I would also remind people that we could go back to the old way with these mail ballots and look for your U.S. post office blue box and drop those in. And you can still track your ballot on the website you mentioned. But I think you just you get notified when it reaches the county and then it kind of goes from there. But yeah, there's more options if you're not quite sure about the actual boxes that are being put up either by the registrar or the Republican Party. We'll be keeping an eye on all of this for you, so we hope you'll join us. Tell us what you think is important or what worries you about casting a ballot this year or about the future in California. We'd love to hear from listeners as we make this podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Your Golden State. Thanks for listening to our first episode. See you next week. California State of Mind is a collaboration of Cal Matters and Cap Radio. It's edited by Nick Miller and produced by Jen Picard. Sally Schilling is our executive producer. Devin Cortan is the technical director. Chris Hagen is our digital editor. Margarita Noriega and Chris Bruno are our masters of marketing. 
Our social media is run by Courtney Fong. Dave Lesher is Cal Matters editor and Joe Barr is Cap Radio's chief of content. Make sure you don't miss any episodes. Hit that subscribe button. It's free and you'll get notified every Friday of a new episode. That's all for now. Thanks again for listening to our very first episode of California State of Mind. I'm Nicole Nixon. And I'm Elizabeth Aguilera. See you next week.